Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. What's up, everybody? Welcome. Let's talk sports Friday edition. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu and my guest co-host here today, per usual on a Friday. Uh, he is of Spectrum News. Brian McInnes, BMAC, is in the house. What's up, BMAC? You look very cozy. We both have sweaters on. It's cold outside. These harsh Hawaiian winters are really starting to get to me. <laughs> Me too, man. Woodward side, it's no joke, you know, uh, there in the high 60s, it's, uh, yeah, sweater weather for sure. Yeah, sweater weather um, and uh, feeling cozy here uh, in what is still a pretty cold, even though it's a contained, climate-controlled studio uh, here in Honolulu. 808-296-1420, the number to call. Text in at that number via the Zephyr Insurance text line. Uh, a lot to get to on the UH basketball front. Uh, BMAC, you were in the house, as was I, last night for uh, Laura Beeman and the Rainbow Wahine basketball team's victory over Cal Poly uh, in was what was a pretty mucked-up type of game. It was pretty physical, a lot of foul calls, some head-scratching foul calls, but in the end it was Hawaii benefiting from what was a very ill-timed technical foul called against one of the Cal Poly players, uh, which ultimately led to a Melani McBee scoring run. Uh, Overall, Hawaii ended up uh, scoring eight straight points in a matter of 50 seconds uh, and created the separation that was necessary for them to win. And so with UC Irvine idle last night, uh, mm-hmm. Hawaii going up by half a game uh, in sole possession of first place in the Big West Conference. Uh, UC Santa Barbara now coming into the house tomorrow for what has been marketed as Beeman's Big Bash. She loves that name. The alliteration is exquisite. Um, and they're trying to see if they can pack the stand as much as possible. Maybe uh, at least threatening the um, uh, attendance record in the Laura Beeman era, which is about 4,300. 40, 40, 40, yeah. uh, I believe the overall attendance record was set back in like the Vince Gu Nani Cockett days. I think maybe their senior night, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and that got up uh, above 6,000. It was like 6,500. Mm. Uh, so that one's going to be tough to reach, I think. Uh, but I think their hope is to get at least maybe 3,000, maybe push that Laura Beeman uh, tenure record of 4,300 in the arena for what is, frankly, a huge game tomorrow with UC Santa Barbara, just a game back of the Rainbow Wahine in the standings, but uh, let's just start there. Since that was the home game, uh, we do have to get to Rainbow Warrior basketball because it appears as uh, though some of the discussion of their demise may have uh, been a little premature. We'll get to that uh, here shortly, Uh, but your thoughts on uh, how this uh, Hawaii team was able to win that game last night. Again, it was kind of an ugly, disjointed, uh, non-rhythmic type of game here, Uh, but Hawaii has proven uh, to be able to adapt to different styles, different kinds of games. Uh, and that was another one where uh, they had to figure some things out. And Laura Beeman said afterwards she thought that her players did. You know, it's funny. Cal Poly, when uh, they come out to the islands for whatever sport it seems like, it, it just kind of becomes like a ugly, just rock fest of a contest. It doesn't even seem to matter if it's basketball or somehow <laughs> volleyball or what, what have you. You know, like they, they just uh, get down in the dirt and kind of invite you to get there with them. And. Um, sometimes that's the way you have to win, and it was certainly the case last night. Um, that one sequence with UH leading by three, uh, Maylani McBee is fouled near the top of the key by Sydney is Bowerland? Uh, Borland. Borland, yep. sorry. Um, 
And, uh, you know, you could maybe argue how severe of a foul it was. She certainly popped off right after the whistle. Um, I believe it was the seventh personal foul on the Mustangs that period compared to like three for UH at that time. So there was a little bit of a discrepancy. You know, they had been chirping about the foul calls all game. There was a lot of that, as a matter of fact. From the bench, from their acting head coach uh, for that game, who was filling in for their regular head coach, who was, I believe, out Ill yeah, yeah. Well, th- there wasn't really a, a reason a given reason, for but, uh, Chanel Sires, the head coach, right. to not have made the trip. But Samba Johnson, a Chaminade Silver Sword, uh, former basketball player, uh, he was the acting head coach. And yeah, he, uh, there was a lot of gesticulation, a lot of disapproval, voiced displeasure with some of the officiating, and it came to a head uh, on that play that you're alluding to. And at a, a pretty unfortunate time. I mean, we're talking crunch time. You know, three, four minutes left in the game, and uh, Sydney Borland. You know, reacts very unfavorably to that call. You know, maybe used an expletive or two directed in the way of the official who made the call. And the official actually, uh, you know, turned the shoulder and just walked to the scoring table like that was just going to be it. They were going to kind of look the other way. But she kept going and uh, her teammates were trying to calm her down and it didn't work. And the UH players are like making the the T motion. Oh, and the crowd started getting into it yeah. too, right? And uh, finally, I guess it just was too much, and she got the T in additional in addition to the personal foul numbers four and five on her, so she was disqualified for the game. Melanie McBee just kind of settled in there at the free throw line with four straight, two for the personal in the bonus, and two for the technical. And then because it was a dead ball technical, UH got it, uh, you know, in possession of the ball. Uh, after the free throws, and Melanie McBee goes in for a layup, six straight points, and uh, the the margin becomes nine in an instant with no time basically taken off the clock, maybe a few seconds. And uh, that seemed to be all she wrote for a uh, game that kept the Rainbow Hina in sole position, or moved the Rainbow Hina in sole position to first. Yeah, uh, pretty crazy. It was funny. It was almost like I felt like the crowd may have influenced the official considering signaling for a technical foul as well because uh, the crowd was starting to get really upset about the fact that there wasn't a tech called against Borland, who was clearly, I think, uh, attempting to show up the official here in that situation. Uh, but yeah, that wasn't the first time that there was some chatter or jawing uh, with the officials. Uh, There was also some chatter and jawing between these two teams, and I've kind Mm -hmm. of seen that here in this Big West (laughs) conference. It sort of feels like that's what a lot of the opposing teams are trying to do to Hawaii, is see if they could out-tough them a little bit, Mm -hmm. maybe try to get them out of their game, get in their heads a little bit, whether it be through physical play, whether it be through a little bit of jawing and chatter, uh, and this Laura Beeman team, to their credit, uh, they've been able to hold it together for the most part. Deja Phillips, who, uh, you know, there was word that she ran into a bit of an exchange uh, of fairly graphic nature with some of the fans at UC Davis this past week. And Laura Beeman actually kind of had her back because apparently some of the things that were said mm. from those fans uh, were pretty egregious uh, along the lines of slurs. Uh, and so Deja Phillips, who has had recent experience of, you know, maybe uh, not uh, vibing so well with some of that kind of stuff, uh, actually showed some restraint last night, even in some instances where she felt like she was being wrongly called uh, for fouls uh, at some key points in that game. So, yeah, I think Hawaii has been able to show a bit of toughness and poise in response response to the way that some of these teams have come in and tried to throw them off of their game. And uh, Laura Beeman said specifically she felt like her team figured some things out last night. And that was interesting uh, to me because Laura Beeman is always sort of forever the coach that's like, okay, yeah, we were all right, but uh, man, we needed to clean this up here. We needed to clean that up there. And so for her to go so far as to say, oh, uh, it felt like we figured some things out, that some things clicked for us. Uh, And a lot of that, I think, was attributed to the fact that they were able to play 
LA uh, through some of their post players, through entry passes into the post when defenders were fronting, whether it be Jackie David or Imani Perez, or even just filtering the offense through those players uh, in mid or high post situations. And I think the paint touches uh, certainly one of the items that Laura Beeman was pretty happy about. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. And uh, it was also interesting to me, the uh, the point guard situation down the stretch. You know, Kelsey Mai had full run of that, that position uh, in, in place of uh, Lily Wahine-Kapu, at least for that final minute stretch, and uh, did did a good job, you know, kept possession of the ball. I mean, Cal Poly was scrambling, trying to get back into the game. And, uh, uh, you know... Kelsey even busted out the uh, the too small uh, <laughs> at one point on a, a spin move into a layup uh, that I thought was, you know, normally I'm not a, a big uh, showboat uh, appreciator, but in that instance after, you know, that chippy exchange had taken place moments earlier, maybe a, just a possession or two earlier, uh, I thought that was pretty well-timed on her part. Yeah, that was uh, directed at uh, Sydney Richards, who uh, herself played a pretty solid game, um, but there was definitely some uh, trash talking going on between her and multiple players, Deja Phillips included, uh, on the Hawaii side. And uh, yeah, I think I said in the broadcast, um, uh, when you get the too small gesture from someone who's listed at 5'7", <laughs> it just makes it sting a little bit more, uh, I think. 808-296-1420, the number to call. You can text in at that number via the Zephyr Insurance text line. Uh, also, do you believe in the uh, broadcaster jinx? Because uh, I think I pulled one off. In fact, I may have pulled multiple off last night. But the one that was probably uh, most emphasized was Annika Shaw, top scorer for yep. Cal Poly, came into that game shooting 98% from the free throw line. This She had literally missed one free throw all season, 52 mm. for 53. Mm-hmm. So she gets fouled uh, early in the game. I think it was the first quarter. Uh, and I immediately jump to the opportunity uh, to say, hey, look, she's a 98% free throw shooter. She has missed one free throw. That is a mind-blowing number. And she immediately missed the first free throw that she attempted. She went one for two uh, in the game. So it was just her second miss of the season. But it was right on cue. Egregious. Yeah. Egregious on your part, hey, Is that a thing? I mean, are you a believer in the announcer jinx? Uh, as a person who has been accused of <laughs> carrying a jinx in, in many a circumstance, uh, you know, I, I think it works both ways. I think, uh, yeah, there, yeah, there's a little mojo, you know, uh, affectation uh from behind the microphone? I totally forgot who I was talking to. Like, of course you believe in jinxes. You're like a walking jinx. You're a jinx with legs. You're the red jinx. <laughs> That's right. That's your villain name. That's your Marvel Comics uh, villain name. All right, um, let's switch it over to the Rainbow Warrior basketball team here a little bit. And again, uh, we behoove everyone uh, on the uh, subject of Rainbow Wahine basketball. Try to get down to the arena tomorrow if you can, if you're so inclined. Might be kind of cool to give this team uh, a, level, a level of support that they haven't necessarily had here uh, over the course of this run where they've now... Uh, racked up two straight Big West Conference tournament championships and two straight appearances in the NCAA tournament. And uh, I think they deserve some of that love and would be kind of cool to have that sort of environment uh, for this squad. Uh, so we'll leave that topic there for now. Switch over to the Rainbow Warrior basketball team because we've had some shows in here. Rob DeMello's been in here. Uh, you've been in studio. And it seems as though every time we bring up Rainbow Warrior basketball or uh, Aran Ganat or something that is related to this Rainbow Warrior basketball season, uh, it has sparked a little bit of uh, momentum when it comes to phone calls and texts. And there are a lot of people that have a lot to say about 
this program. And I think there are a lot of people who were kind of thinking the way this season was playing out, that uh, there had been a bit of a jumping of the shark, so mm-hmm. to speak. Uh, and yet here we go after some of that lament for several weeks and certainly a lackluster start in the win-loss column uh, for conference play and certainly an all-too-familiar uh, high propensity for these scoring droughts that lasted in some instances like 10 minutes of game time, uh, despite all of that herky-jerky, disconnected type of, of play at times throughout the season, this team has now won 5 of 6, BMAC, and they don't appear uh, any longer to be in dire uh, uh, you know, dire straits with regard to possibly not making the Big West Conference tournament. Uh, instead now, uh, their sights are firmly set on seeing if they can try to keep this momentum going. Maybe they can get up into that top four, which would come with a uh, first round bye. And I don't know, who knows, as wacky as this Big West Conference is, I mean, is it even that out of the realm of possibilities to think that there's a way to get up into the top two, depending on how things go? I mean, this is crazy that we're having this conversation so soon after after some of the recent conversations that we've had. But uh, is this a Hawaii team that's fixed all of a sudden, in your opinion? You know, I wouldn't say fixed, but I think they uh, they found something for sure in that uh, home sweep against UC San Diego and uh, UC Davis. Uh, we have to remember that they were a Juan Munoz bailout corner three from going down in that UC San Diego game at the end of regulation that, you know, the conversation I think is totally different if uh, he doesn't show off his, uh, you know, sharpshooter heroics there. And all credit to Juan Munoz for sinking that shot because UH uh, did go on to have one heck of a week um, in part because of a moment like that. So, you know, that that's the make or miss uh, just reality of college hoops sometimes that's a really good point because if if he doesn't hit that difficult shot it was a step back from the corner uh had a 610 dude that was you know arm extended trying to disrupt the shot uh he splashes it and it sends the game to overtime they end up winning in overtime against ucsd a ucsd team by the way that hammered uc santa barbara last night Mm -hmm. uh while hawaii was doing the same uh to cal poly although cal poly at the bottom of the barrel uh in the big west um but a tough place to play traditionally for hawaii and so uh Still, I think the fact that they were able to win so easily and so demonstratively, uh, something uh, to acknowledge. But you're right. If Munoz doesn't hit that shot, they lose that game. The narrative doesn't necessarily change, uh, at least not far from, hey, they gave it a spirited effort and it was good to see some grit and some character and some heart from this team. They definitely, I would imagine, not have gone into that next game two nights later against UC Davis with the same kind of engagement that we Mm -hmm. saw. The whole team coming out an hour and a half early to get shots up that seemed to pay off when they had the out-of-body experiences collectively of going 9 of 11 from three-point land in that first half against Davis. Uh, But yeah, that extra pep in their step probably would not have been there. So uh, if this does turn into a story where Hawaii has somehow righted the ship and they make a push here down the stretch of the regular season and say they play deep into that conference tournament, you could probably look, as you're you're saying, BMAC, directly at that Juan Munoz three and be like, uh, that changed the course of the season. It really has that potential right now. Of course, there's, there's a lot to be decided over these uh, next six games of regular season play. But, um, you know, you got to tip your cap to the Rainbow Warriors for going to Cal Poly and doing what they did with the level of focus that they had after what is probably the, the toughest place to get to in the Big West Conference when you're talking about, you know, flying to either NorCal or so- SoCal and making basically a four-hour bus ride either way to get to that central California town of San Luis Obispo. 
So uh, they get there, you know, they, they come out sharp. Juan Munoz again, uh, Justin McCoy again. He's, he's playing his best stretch of ball for the Rainbow Warriors, it's fair to say. And um, heck, I mean, even after a 15-point halftime lead against the Mustangs, playing without their best player, Kobe Sanders. That's right, yeah. Should you know, be said, you're right. Uh, so you got to, A, note that, but also, B, give UH credit for not uh, relaxing, mm-hmm. you know, not taking their foot off the gas because they built that lead up to 30 points by the midpoint of the second half and, and basically kept it right there. So, um, you know, we'll see what they do against Santa Barbara, a team that beat them by 17 at the Stan Sheriff Center, just dominated the paint, 50-plus points in the paint. That's happened a few times to the Bows this year, and that was one of the notable ones. So um, by no means have they solved all of their woes, to, to back to your original question, but I think uh, momentum in college basketball – Momentum and morale are often tied together and in one kind of nebulous, you know, thing that, that can affect performance, that can affect outcomes, and they're certainly riding a high in that respect right now. Texter says, UH men's hoops finally realized you can't shoot free throws like 10-year-olds and be considered a legitimate college team. Yeah, free throw shooting has at times uh, hurt them. Um, I think the other thing about this, like, what do we do with this? Because this is uh, one of those elements of this story here uh, that uh, forces you to do some more difficult thinking, I think, uh, which is they have made this... This little burst here last week, those two wins following giving up 93 points, a regulation time high in Mm -hmm. the Aranganat era at UC Irvine. Um, They have that back-to-back two-game homestand victory uh, last week. They they went on the road at Cal Poly last night, and they do so without Jovan McClanahan. Mm -hmm. So what do we do with that? McClanahan, who I think has been uh, regarded, and rightfully so, uh, you know, on a consensus basis, as being perhaps, like, the closest thing to that bulldog mentality, right? right. The kind of toughest sort of mental, uh, from a mental standpoint, the the toughest dude for this Hawaii team, the guy that, like, won't ever back down. Um, he hasn't been there here mm-hmm. for these last three games because of that shoulder injury. What do we do with that? How are you observing that because that's a little bit more difficult for us to comprehend and explain. Sure. Um, and I asked Coach Gunnott about him again, you know, on, on Javon's status after the Cal Poly game. And he said he's, you know, he's there traveling with them. I wouldn't expect to see him play against Santa Barbara tomorrow. He's still not quite there, was basically what Coach Gunnott said. Uh, but once they come back, you know, next homestand, uh, we'll see if he gets back in the mix. And it will be interesting how they, they use him because we had already seen him get shifted to the bench, right, behind Juan Munoz. Coach Gennady tried playing them, them together, and then also Javon is kind of a straight backup to uh, Juan. So they're, they're, they've been playing around with that situation. And, you know, as you said, I mean, he's, he's kind of their bulldog. He, he is basically the team leader among team leaders mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, the, the guy to give a soundbite, the guy to try to rally guys together in a tough spot. I think he's Mr. Clutch. I mean, he's their late clock guy. Like maybe yes. as 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 effective in in that role as anyone that's ever played in that program, right? I mean, from a, just a, a sheer um, uh, you know accumulative uh, cumulative standpoint, like the the sheer amount of times that he's hit late clock 
shots, whether it be for game winners or just to beat shot clocks. I mean, he probably is the most prolific that we've seen, at least in modern times. Well, that season last year that he put together start to finish, that resume was was maybe like the, the most single season instances of that that I've probably seen from one guy. You know, Brock Steptoe might have a thing or two to say about the late clock shot making because he did that a lot of times over his five-year mm-hmm. UH career as well. But um, And we can go deeper back into the 90s and so on. But um, that said, you're right. I mean, he's come through time and time again in that kind of situation, which which takes a certain... At some point, it's not totally luck, right? I mean, it's yeah. you, you just got to have some kind of presence about you in, in those kind of... Onions! You know, As Bill Raftery yes, would say. Improbable shots. He's he's done it. So I think at times he's been maybe slightly guilty of trying to do too much just in, in terms of their half-court offense and when, when things have gotten down to the you know crunch time this year when they had some of those end-game mm-hmm, struggles. Mm-hmm. I think there was maybe some of that, and Coach Gennad had kind of alluded to it without naming him specifically. Um, he's done a lot of good things as well, but um, you know I think that was maybe part of their, their process of shifting guys around and bringing Juan to the forefront a little more. So very interested to see how they reincorporate him once he's healthy. Yeah, and uh, you know I do think that uh, you're right. There have been times where maybe he uh, has tried to do too much, right? And, and, and part of that is because you know this offense hasn't necessarily been flowing uh, so well at times. A lot of missed shots, maybe guys feeling some of that pressure at different stages early on, particularly in, in conference play. Um, and so you know it's natural for a guy who's kind of been looked at and, and now has, has been granted that, that almost moniker of being like the clutch guy, I think it's natural for him to be, you know, sometimes caught trying to do too much. But I think what has worked for this Hawaii team over this last three game stretch is a certain flowing nature to the offense. Uh, mm-hmm. And it seems to be guided by kind of a calm, cool and collected methodology uh, by Juan Munoz. And, and we have to be honest as well. Uh, Juan Munoz, just his presence out there on the floor. I know you possibly give up something on the defensive end because of his size and stature, uh, but the ability for him to merely space the floor by being there by existing he spaces the floor and then the way he has been uh, able to sort of handle the the basketball is as, as kind of the, the primary point guard at least in terms of getting them into their offensive half court sets mm-hmm. there's been kind of a smoothness to it and and uh, I think he for a guy who you know has the ability to call his own number uh, he moves that ball he keeps that thing moving, and I think that that has been something that has benefited uh, this team to a large degree uh, with Jovan out. So, yeah, you're right. It's going to be interesting to see how they assimilate him back in and in what kind of role, how many minutes are they talking about for Jovan because clearly they're more talented if Jovan is available. That's not even up for debate. Uh, but there's also, like you said, a little bit of that uh, momentum factor. Uh, how much, if you're a head coach, uh, do you – have to sort of guide the uh, return of Jovan McClanahan with a little extra care. Yeah, a little bit of the, the training wheels thing maybe coming back, but uh, we also can't ignore uh, the contribution that Cody Williams has made off the bench. He's made it pretty seamless going from when when Juan Munoz has to come out. You know, Cody's in there. He, he knows he's not he's not the spotlight guy. Yeah. I mean, he's just willing to, to, you know, keep that ball moving around pretty hot potato-ish. So... He had a high turnover game at Cal Poly, five turnovers. Um, you know, it's only been his third game getting regular playing time this year. And uh, he's just still been a, a guy who can score it when necessary. And um, they're just their poise at the position, I think, has been 
you know, a constant over this uh, little run they're putting together. Upgrade your island style with Kahala, the original Aloha shirt since 1936. It is a Kahala Friday, everybody. Pick one up for yourself at one of Kahala's six stores island-wide or at kahala.com. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, a little more hoops chatter with my man BMAC. What's up? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy along with Brian McInnes of Spectrum News here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. 808-296-1420, the number to call. Text in at that number via the Zephyr Insurance text line. Uh, Texter says, when Jovan comes back, this makes the team extremely deep and versatile. That would be the hope, as mentioned. I don't think it is uh, at all an opinion. Uh, it is, I think, objective to say that when he comes back, they will be a better team. They will have better talent overall. They will be deeper. And, yeah, hopefully that is transcended uh, into how they're able to incorporate him uh, back into the rotation uh, and continue whatever is happening with this team right now. Uh, they are having a, a little bit of a moment, uh, especially some guys that maybe uh, you would not have anticipated, like you said, Cody Williams. Uh, and we're also getting uh, the best Justin McCoy uh, that we've gotten uh, since he put on a Hawaii uniform uh, here as well. All right, we have a caller on the line. Miles wants to talk some basketball. Miles, what's up? Hi. Well, what can you tell me about the men's basketball and the Wahini basketball? What's the total wins and lose? Okay. Is the right. man going to win more games and he's going to be inside the championship game? Oh, okay. Well, uh, thanks, uh, Miles. Uh, appreciate the call. It's hard to say at this point whether they're going to be able to make it to a championship game. Uh, Hawaii is uh, moving up a little bit in the uh, standings, though. They're, it's a cluster in the middle of the Big West Conference standings on the men's side. And so uh, Hawaii is uh, certainly within reach of getting into that top four uh, at this point. Um, and if they can get there by the time the tournament comes around, they get the first round by, they would have to win three straight games as opposed to four straight games in order uh, uh, to win that uh, tournament championship. And meanwhile, the uh, Rainbow Wahine, as mentioned, uh, they are atop the standings by themselves by a half game over Irvine, uh, with Irvine being idle last night and Hawaii getting that win against Cal Poly. Uh, I wanted to talk about BMAC, um, the history that was made yesterday. Caitlin Clark uh, for Iowa. She needed eight points going into that game against Michigan. She got it in two minutes and 12 seconds. Uh, she needed eight points to break the women's collegiate scoring record um, held by Kelsey Plum. And she did so as a matter, you know, as, as mentioned, in a matter of just moments, it seemed. Uh, and then she does it with her, uh, the, the, how she got to eight was like a logo three that she pulled up. It was just absolute bottom, barely moved the net. And it was just like the vintage way for Cl Caitlin Clark to do this thing. Uh, and then um, she goes on to have uh, 49, a career high, sets a single game Iowa scoring record. Like this is bananas what, what, what's happening. Uh, she is the biggest thing in college hoops, period, men or female. Inarguably. It's incredible what she's done. Um, the panache that she just went about uh, coolly setting that career uh, record and then, uh, you know, going on to score 49, unbelievable. I, I'd actually kind of assumed or maybe I – Maybe in, I just invented it in my head to, for how good she is that she had had a 50-piece before. I kind of had thought that. And when I saw, oh, that, like 49 is the record, okay. But, um, you know, slacking, I guess. You guys, 
What are, what are you waiting for, Kaylin? <laughs> I know. Come on, Kaylin. And we need to get Kaylin more shots. I think that's uh, <laughs> what Iowa needs to do offensively is try to find a way uh, to get her more shots. Uh, but this is this is unreal. And I think that it it has been interesting to see some of the reaction, right? I, I think the phenomenon part of this is what makes it really interesting, right? Like how it's sort of changed the dynamic of how we uh, digest women's basketball in many ways. They had courtside seats there last night that were uh, reportedly being being sold uh, secondhand in the upwards of like thousands of dollars, wow. like as much as like ten thousand dollars. They had the nosebleed seats that were going for an average of like three hundred to four hundred dollars a pop. Uh, the game was sold out like last year, so good luck getting any kind of tickets. But if they were being sell- sold, you know, third person uh, or or secondhand, then uh, that was the only way you were going to get in there. But just that part of it to me is about as interesting as every as anything else uh, that comes along with it. Just the the fact that she has kind of changed how we perceive. Uh, women's college basketball uh, to to be all about right. I mean, this is this is now uh, must see television. There have been some tremendous players, and I'm not here trying to say that she's like the goat of of women's basketball. I, I would not even pretend to venture uh, to say something like that. But from a a a sort of media and phenomenon standpoint, uh, I don't think we've seen anything like this before. Well, we talked about it um, last March when, uh, you know, Iowa made its run to the Final Four Women's National Championship and played Angel Reese and LSU, right? And then that classic game with the, you know, Angel Reese waves the hand in front of the face and there's a lot of discussion about that. I mean, it just feels like we've taken collectively, you know, as as, uh, the media, as, as fandom of the game of basketball, like that moment and it's just like transferred and they've taken that and, and run with it this season. I mean... You know, I would also like to point out for those who aren't quite familiar with her career, with her history, she's done this, all of what she's done and the scoring record. This is her fourth, legitimate fourth year of college basketball. That's right. It's not like she had a COVID year. And there was some, uh, was it Cheryl Swoops or someone was kind of suggesting, you know, she's a bit of a compiler, you know, five Mm -hmm. years, the COVID years, but she's not really a player that has benefited. She has another year of eligibility next year if she wants it. Well, that is nuts. Like, if she she could bury it for all time. (laughs) Yes. Like, no one would ever have a chance of touching it in the history of mankind. Um, But... Right now, at least as of this season, I mean, this is her fourth straight year of college basketball. As a true freshman, she averaged 26.6 points a game <laughs> in 2020-21, and she's only uh, built her average up every season, 27 as a sophomore, 27.8, now 32.8 points per game. That is wild. That is wild. And, uh, you know, it's Sabrina Unescu who is uh, going to be part of that three-point contest with Steph Curry yep. tomorrow, as a matter of fact, part of the NBA All-Star festivities. Uh, and she set the single three-point shootout record, I think, uh, made 24. 20- five of 27 shots or mm-hmm. something something like that uh and like scored like 37 points or whatever it is mm-hmm. and um or was it uh, how many shots did they take she missed like two shots basically throughout her whole three-point shootout um I, I i'm not sure like how it works with like some of the money ball and stuff they have an extra right. one but anyway uh it was just unbelievable and here is bmac who's like <laughs> hey get uh caitlin clark in there in place of sabrina ionescu the disrespect is is mind-blowing yeah sorry disrespect to you know mark campbell former uh point guard who recruited sabrina ionescu to oregon and, and her career absolutely took off from there and of course disrespect to sabrina herself who i know is a uh, chip on her shoulder type of player yeah yeah uh, you know all she needs is some random dude in hawaii talking about how oh, she shouldn't <laughs> be in the contest and she'll take that and just absolutely destroy it but uh <laughs> No, I mean, what if, come on, like, you know, 
NIL is now a thing where you can have your face in promotions and advertisements now. Can we find a way to get Caitlin Clark as like a third wheel in this competition and just, I don't know, have her make this a uh, free-for-all? You know, they're um, going to be shooting from the NBA 3. So uh, Sabrina, who, you know, obviously the WNBA three-point line is a little bit closer. The NBA three-point line, it's funny, like, you know, they make it look so easy. It is like a million miles away from the rim. The three-point line in the NBA is so far away. Uh, but it makes a difference. And I was kind of thinking, like, is that the way they should do it? Or should they have Steph shoot from the WNBA three-point line? Or, I mean... Can't you just do it at opposite ends of the floor and, like, Steph goes from the NBA line or, or and UNESCO goes from the WNBA line? Or how, how would you do this, BMAC? Man, that's, that's I would put Caitlin Clark in there is what your <laughs> response is going to be. Exactly, exactly. No, I, I, it, it's to me it's, like, going to be must-watch TV on Saturday night. I know we're going to have our, our own, you know, sports media obligations here, but i got to find a way to get the live stream going when that happens. All right. Well, we are uh, going to take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to be talking with Evan Silberstein. He's the head coach of the Rainbow Wahine Beach Volleyball Program. Uh, the first uh, national poll was released today. We'll talk about that, plus a, a really cool meet-and-greet uh, that is occurring here uh, for this program. Uh, we'll talk with their head coach when we come back. You're listening to Let's Talk Sports. What's up? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the Paxa Studios in Honolulu. Brian McInnes, BMAC of Spectrum News, is my guest co-host here uh, for the day. It is that time of year, not just the start of the new Rainbow Warrior baseball season, but uh, Rainbow Wahine Beach Volleyball also set to start uh, in a week. And there is this really cool event where you can kind of get a jump on getting to know the Rainbow Wahine, a meet and greet, which is going to be going down uh, at UH, at the Ching Athletics Complex, uh, over there at the sand volleyball courts, uh, food truck, beverages. Uh, you can watch these uh, Rainbow Wahine players uh, in action. Uh, it starts at 4.30 or run through uh, 6.30 p.m. And then right after that, you can just uh, march on over to Les Murakami Stadium and take in the season opener for Rainbow Baseball against Ole Miss. And to talk more about that, we welcome head coach for the Rainbow Wahine Beach Volleyball Program, Evan Silberstein, to the show. What's up, coach? How are you? Aloha, Kanoa. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm doing great, man. Really excited for tonight. Yeah, no, this is a really cool thing, kind of an unprecedented event, uh, as a matter of fact. Can you talk about how this came together and uh, what you're uh, hoping uh, to have accomplished here tonight and what fans are in for if they're able to come down and, and uh, take part in this meet and greet? Totally. It's definitely a first of its kind. We're always looking for new ways to create exposure for the student-athletes. They're working so hard and putting themselves in position to be successful in the season. So instead of doing a green white or an alumni, I thought this would be fun. We actually were on Kauai this fall. We did a queen of the court format. So that's similar to what we're going to do tonight. We're inviting everyone in. Like you mentioned, we'll have a food truck. Um, we'll be selling beverages in there, which is actually the first time we've ever done that at the Ching over on the beach volleyball side. So I'm pretty excited about doing that. People uh, to be able to come in and have some fun. And the athletes will be playing kind of like in like, we call it a queen of the beach format. So there'll be like five pairs on each court. And every, like, 10 or 15 minutes, we'll be whittling them down. So we'll have a timer. I'm actually going to grab the mic and do some announcing so everyone can really get <laughs> understanding who the athletes are, where they're from, kind of that kind of stories. And then as they lose, I'm going to be inviting the, you know, as they kind of get whittled down, they'll be out in the crowd getting to kind of sign autographs or meet with, athletes, meet with other people that are out there and fans and things like that. So just hopeful to have a lot of fun and get some exposure and then definitely uh, get ready to root on, uh, you know, the, the baseball right after that. I thought it was a really fun spot for 
for it. I, I know you'd love to, to give us a rundown here and, may, and maybe even just uh, sort of as a uh, practice run for some of the announcing and introducing that you're going to be doing here tonight. <laughs> uh, I, I know you'd love to run through each player, but uh, can you at least uh, give us uh, some of the players that fans will uh, have an opportunity uh, to get to know? Because this is a decorated and veteran-laden program and roster here for this upcoming season. Yeah, totally. It is, and I'm excited to do that. Uh, Kaylee Glago is, is a two-time All-American. She played with Brooke the last couple of years, so she's returning. She's been on the ones court the last couple of years, so um, definitely exciting to see her start off her senior season. Also, Jamie Santer, is, they're both from Canada, from Toronto. They hmm. came in together in 2020, so this is the beginning of their last season, kind of moving forward. Um, we also brought back, some fans may remember, Pawnee Napoleon. Hmm. She's a two-time All-Big West player. A um, lot of energy, a lot of fire in her, so it's been great to have her back. And then, of course, I think fans will be really interested to get a chance to meet uh, Yulia, Jakob's younger sister, so um, a great you know, Norwegian <laughs> legacy. Um, having, having her over here for her first season is going to be really, really exciting. So that's just a quick rundown of a few of the faces that they might see if they come out this afternoon. Hey, Coach Silverstein, it's uh, Brian McInnes. Um, yeah, I look forward yeah. to seeing the new crew uh, for you guys this season. Um, Open up a week, basically a week from now, right? The uh, Outrigger Duke Kanamoku Beach Classic over there at Queens Beach, and it's a pretty stacked uh, field <laughs> of competition. You're uh, subjecting your your team to right off the bat, uh, LMU, UCLA, Stanford, USC in that field. So, yeah, what do you expect uh, in that just opening week of competition? Yeah, we're we're interested. We want to we want to be the best, so we know we got to play the best to get there. So we're excited to host. A lot of these teams have been out perennially. UCLA and Stanford, we've seen. We haven't had USC out here in a couple of years, um, and it's great to get LMU back as well. Like the polls just came out today. We rolled in at nine. I think Stanford was seven, LMU was five, and UCLA and USC uh, SC at one, UCLA at two. So yeah, it's for the for the top teams right above us. So it gives us really nothing to lose and a great opportunity to go out there, play the best competition, see how we can stack up, see the things that, we're, that are working um, in our lineup, and then make changes that we need so we can keep pushing forward uh, you know, into the season. You know, Coach, you mentioned um, Brooke, uh, who is no longer a part of your program. I know she was like a mainstay for you at that, at that top, uh, in the, at the top court um, for at least a couple years. Uh, you know, I mean, has it struck you yet that she's not there? Because from her combined <laughs> indoor and beach time, it seemed like she was part of UH Athletics for like the last decade. Yeah, that's right. Certainly, we we were proud to have her the time that we did, and we were certainly stoked that it lasted as long as it did. So, yeah, no, this group is has been, a lot of them. I think uh, Kanoa pointed out it. It's a it's a really veteran group. I think we have six seniors right now. Um, we've got a bunch of red shirts um, that have are now emerging into the situation. Um, we brought in a couple really high-level transfers as well that were both champions. One from uh, Grossmont, she was a state champion last year. Alana Embry, she went 43 and 0, um, and won a junior college state championship. And also Julia Lorenz from she's here from Brazil. Um, she won a junior college indoor championship um, over in Florida Southwestern. So we put in some great pieces around it. We've been training so hard. We have the shortest collegiate season, you know, only last 10 weeks. So it's, it's, that's why it's nice to add on something fun like tonight, kind of give us a little bit more of a prelude to the things that do happen. And that's why we want to play the best. We don't have a lot of time to wait. We want to get right into the action. So uh, we miss Brooke, but the ones, that, the ones that are stepping out there tonight and this week are certainly ready to, to have their chance to represent as well.
All right, so uh, if we can ask one more question, uh, you mentioned the uh, lineage, the Tella family lineage that uh, now uh, is uh, protruding into Rainbow Wahine uh, volleyball on the beach side. Um, what uh, kind of player do you see her as being? Yeah, Yulia is, uh, she is amazing. She has excellent ball skills, so she's able to, you know, she's passing and setting great. She's really powerful, and she plays really uh, along all the zones of the net. So she plays primarily as a defender for us, um, and she's able to kind of attack from all the different zones. So she might pass way on the left side of the court and then run way all the way over there to the right, or she might be coming in fast. So she's a really dynamic attacker. Um, she's a talented, you know, technical player. She's very competitive, very cerebral. Um, so it certainly is going to be a learning curve for her, in, you know, at you know, in the college game at this point, but she comes after to us after a gap year too. So she comes in with a little bit more maturity than some of our regular freshmen might come in. So um, we're excited certainly to integrate her and give her opportunities to compete and, and, and have her be a big, uh, you know, factor just like her brother was eventually. Well, tonight will be a fun night in Manoa. You can double dip, if you will. Go a little early for an afternoon affair with the Rainbow Wahine Beach Volleyball team. Meet and greet. You can meet the players, uh, see them in action. Uh, Coach Silverstein will be on the mic. I'm sure that's going to be uh, as entertaining as anything. Runs from 4.30 to 6.30 p.m., and that'll give you plenty of time to uh, head on over to Les Murakami Stadium for the season opener for UH Baseball as well against Ole Miss. Coach, we appreciate the time. Uh, good luck awesome. with the event tonight, and, and uh, good luck this season. We're looking forward to it. Uh, Mahalo, guys. I appreciate it. Have a great one. All right. Take care. Evan Silberstein, head coach for Rainbow Wahine Beach of Volleyball. Uh, Pretty cool. I I, I kind of like the effort that some of the programs have been doing with events like this uh, here this season. Just trying to find other ways to, to reach out to the community and see if they can draw a little bit of extra interest. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, the, <clears throat> this day and age, you've got to be creative and, and trying to, you know, just whatever extra revenue sources and interest you can get from folks. Um, it's kind of a must. I mean, there's just so many, uh, demands on programs uh, that, I mean, UH has all kinds of travel, you know, just obstacles that other teams don't have that type of program absolutely needs it. And then again, uh, the national poll coming out today, rainbow Wahine ranked ninth, five top 10 teams participating, uh, in that event, uh, to start off the season next week. So, uh, yeah, definitely want to uh, check that out. All right. Uh, it is Kahala Friday. So want to remind everybody the original Aloha shirt since 1936 is available. You can pick one up at one of Kahala's six stores island wide or at Kahala.com. We will get to our best and worst after this, but first we have a pair of rainbow, Wahine basketball tickets to give away for Beeman's Big Bash. How many uh, how many B's in that phrase? Uh, it would be three B's, right? Just Beeman's Big Bash. B's. All right, caller number three then. That's how we determine it. Caller number three gets the tickets. 808-296-1420. Caller number three gets the tickets for Beeman's Big Bash tomorrow against UCSB. We'll be back with our best and worst. Hey, welcome back. Congratulations to Travis in Manoa. Doesn't have to go very far to go watch Rainbow Wahine basketball tomorrow night against UCSB. It's Beeman's Big Bash, and he got the two tickets uh, for being caller number three during the break. So congrats to you, Travis. Kanoa Leahy along with BMAC Brian McInnes here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. It is time for our best and our worst. And so uh, let's get to it. Which one do you want to start with, BMAC? Are you, are you feeling like a good news first or bad news first kind of day? You know me. It's a bad news first kind of day. <laughs> it's always bad news first. <laughs> uh, all right, go for it. Uh, my worst is uh, the GOAT, Tiger Woods, having to withdraw from the Genesis Invitational today because of an illness, what was, what was cited. 
uh, according to the PGA Tour. Uh, round two was in the middle of his round, just hit his tee shot on number seven, and then he taken off the court and golf course, and uh, he had like back spasms on day one. So I don't know if maybe there was something beyond just an illness, but that's what they said, and that's just too bad. Yeah, that is uh, that is unfortunate. He's he's been finding different and 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 various ways to withdraw from tournaments and it's like we get so built up to see him making these returns and uh and it just so often has uh, happened where uh it has ended like this with a little bit of uh, disappointment so yeah it's a bummer man anytime tiger woods is uh holding a golf club it's an event uh and so that's just kind of a, a bummer uh that that happened in that uh in that event which is a pretty cool one the genesis uh, invitational. All right, my worst is uh, Fairy Dickinson, very well-respected program, right? Uh, has done some really, really great things uh, in college hoops here in recent years. Uh, but their game against Long Island University, former stomping grounds of uh, Hawaii's own Craig Angelus, uh, it was delayed about 17 minutes because uh, they got stuck in an elevator at Steinberg Wellness Center in Brooklyn. So it's the home uh, facility of uh, LIU. Uh, while they were going from the court to the locker room before tip-off, they got uh, stuck in the elevator. Not all of the players, just a certain amount of them and it uh, led for the players who were stuck in the elevator to say that the players that decided to take the stairs they were the smart ones but uh, yeah fdu uh, delayed because they got stuck in an elevator that's my worst come on craig can we go back and apply some elbow grease to the uh <laughs> you know joints and pulleys in the uh elevator wells yeah that's right uh yeah craig's like uh, not my problem anymore that's for sure uh, all right let's uh, get to our best what's your best uh, my best is uh, from last night, UH men's basketball. Um, I know you can always appreciate a, another good, uh, solid play-by-play guy, and Cal Poly has one of the best in the conference in Chris Sylvester. Been doing it for several years now. Uh, I just want to give him a shout-out for you know just remaining an absolute pro in the face of an all-time horrible season for mm-hmm. Cal Poly. You know, they're 4-22 and now, have lost 32 straight conference games going back to last year, and just basically, you know, going out there lunch pail style and doing his job in the face of some terrible basketball. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a rough ride for them, uh, that's for sure. But he is uh, certainly good and, and one of the good guys uh, as well. All right, uh, my best, Amy Atwell, Rainbow Wahine alum, uh, just recently signed a training camp contract with the Phoenix Mercury. So she's been killing it for the Perth Lynx uh, in Australia down under, uh, and she is going to get another shot at making it into the WNBA. Oh, that's that's awesome. Uh, Pulling for, you know, she's one of the all time greats for the program. Anytime you hear her name, it's always something good attached. Legend. Just like BMAC. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) We'll see you next week. Have a good weekend.